Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house tonight. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit excited because this is the first time I don't get to preach in this area that much. So I'm just, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. I know that many of you, I had a plan when I first came out here. I'd planned to bring a uh, bring a table and, and set it up, and I was going to have some books that I was going to give out to pastors, and, and I walked right out the door and left every all of my plan right on the kitchen table. Anybody been there? My, my plan was to try to hook some pastors in so I could slip my card over because I don't, I don't get to be over here that much, and I want to meet you. I don't, I, I, I'll tell you not that it's wrong, but we don't call pastors. I just kind of try to hang out wherever pastors are because I want to meet them, and I want to connect with them. Uh, I tell people, if If you enjoy our ministry, uh, please tell somebody. If you don't enjoy our ministry, then please don't tell anybody. Because I'll just be honest tonight, sometimes I preach and in my mind I imagine that angels are standing and they're singing and they're rejoicing and cheering me on, but then there's other times when I preach that heaven lowers this flag down to half mass and angels won't even look at me. Anybody been there? But I'm excited to be here with you tonight. I believe that you are not here by coincidence. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to every person if this, in this building, if we'll respond to that drawing of his spirit. Galatians 6 and, 6 and 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. If we are a people that make up our mind that we refuse to quit. If we make up their mind, no matter what I've got to go through, no matter what I've got to push through, I know if I keep on digging, if I keep on fighting, we're people that know that we're going to receive the promise that God has promised us. But oftentimes, we quit too soon. It's much like the the gentleman that decided that he was going to make his make his fortune gold mining. And he, like many others in, in that day, he'd, he'd, he'd went out and he bought him a mine. And he bought him a shovel. He bought everything that he needed. And he went in and, and he, tried, he thought he would try his luck at digging the mine. And so he got in and began to dig. And weeks and months went by. And finally, the moment came that, to his surprise, he actually hit gold. After it happened, he, he, he was excited, but he didn't have the right equipment. So what he did, he, he, he hid the mine, he left everything, and he went home, and he, and, he, and he sold everything that he had. He got all his money. He even took on some family, and he took on some friends, and, and they had invested in him, and he went back to the gold mine, and he, and he bought all the drilling equipment. He bought all the picks. He bought all the shovels. He bought everything that he needed to, to mine out the gold. The only problem was is that just as quickly as the gold had shown up, it had disappeared. And so he'd invested everything, and, and week after week, month after month, year after year, he dug, and he dug, and he dug, and he dug, till it got to the point that he got so discouraged that he gave up. And he sold everything that he had to a junk man 
for pennies on the dollar. The junk man went out and he thought, I've got nothing to lose. So he took all the equipment that he'd gotten and he went out and he began to dig in the exact same place that the man before had walked away. And in less than three feet of digging, the new man had made one of the largest gold discoveries in history. In less than three feet, he went from a nobody and to making his fortune. Preacher, what are you saying? R.W. Darby was three feet from gold. He was three feet. He would have made millions, but he gave up too soon. I wonder how many people in this building tonight that you are three feet from a miracle. You are three feet from your ministry. You are three feet away from your breakthrough, from your miracle. I wonder how many tonight, under the sound of my, you are this close to the promise that God has given you, and you've gotten weary, and on the inside you are almost to the place that you are so discouraged that you are ready to throw in the towel. That's you tonight. I just want to speak to you for the next few moments because the word of God still says, if, he said, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me over quickly to the book of 2 Kings the third chapter, we arrive on a scene tonight where God's people are in a position, they are in a place that they've become discouraged and they are ready to give up. They are ready to quit. This army that we are about to encounter, they have been crossing the desert. They are on a journey to fight on a military campaign and the problem that they experience is, is a very serious problem. They have completely run out of water. And it looks like they're never going to make it to the place that they're trying to get to. Second Kings chapter 3, we're going to begin down tonight. We're going to jump down and begin in verse number 9. Second Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse number 9. If you're ready for the reading of God's word, somebody shout amen in this house. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Snapshot, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king, uh, but the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. 
And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you, but now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city, and every, and every good piece of land, or forgive me, every choice city, and, and, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was going or was was being offered that suddenly water came in the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. We're going to stop right there tonight. I really, really want to focus. Our key verse tonight is going to be verse number 16. Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of of ditches. If you come tired, if you've come worn out, if you've come thirsty, needing the presence of God, friend, I just want to invite you to don't you dare throw in the towel. You get into a place, I come to tell somebody tonight, no matter how the situation may look, listen, if we'll not give up, if we'll not throw in the towel, I just want to tell somebody, pick up your shovel and dig. That's going to be our title. Pick up your shovel and dig. Saints of God, we help me pray one more time over this evening service. Lord, we love you tonight. And Father, we are so thankful today, Lord, that we can come into your house and we can worship you in spirit and in truth. But Lord, I know that, Father, we did not come tonight, Lord, just to go through the motions. Father, we've come to encounter you. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us tonight. Lord, that you would help us, Lord, strip of us, of, of every distraction, anything that would keep us from what you provided, what you want to do in our lives. Elevate our faith, Lord. Lord, give us strength. Pour out your spirit strength. Lord, breathe on us. Help us to be a people that have the faith to keep on walking, to keep on believing, no matter what it is that the enemy, whatever the snare is that he lays out to try to trip up your people. Bless this word tonight and bless your people in the mighty name of Jesus we pray and everyone in agreement shouted amen and amen. Now we arrive on the scene where God's people are frustrated. They have gotten to a place that they are ready to quit. They are ready to throw in the towel. There are three kings and there are three armies that have joined together. The army of Judah, Israel, and Edom. And they have all joined forces together because they all face a common enemy, the Moabites. 
And so they decided that they're going to uh, go and begin to start this war with the Moabites. Now, what's interesting is they could have taken a direct route uh, and, and a simpler route, but they'd made up their mind. They decided that they want to circle around the long way. And the reason why, even though there's somewhere around 100 miles of desert in between uh, to that destination, they, their, 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 their desire is to take the enemy by surprise. Three kings, three armies, and one plan. We're going to show up unexpected, and we are going to defeat the Moabites. And at this time, they are some seven days deep into, in, in, into the desert on their journey. But when they came to the oasis, when they got to the place where water should have been, there was none. Now, we understand that this is a problem. We understand, we, we know, you, you maybe you can live without food for months, but, but you can't not make it without water. Water is essential for, for life. I was surprised when I began to dig around and, and I began to find out that most every person, if they locked the doors tonight and we were not allowed to leave this building without water, most every one of us would die in as little as three days. See, God's people are in a place, they're in a position where the water has run out. The army, they are seven days in, seven days deep into the desert. They've gotten to a place where they're, they're dry, they're thirsty, and even if they try, even if by some miracle they're, they're able to go a little bit further, if there was no water here, then surely there's no water at the next place, the next well, if you will. See, they've gotten to a place that they've come too far. They can't continue. They're seven miles deep. They've come too far to turn around. And go back. You see, friend, God's people are in trouble. And the king of Israel starts blaming God. God, why did you bring me here? God, why would you allow this to happen to me? Well, Lord, we're all going to die and it is your fault. Isn't it funny how when we find ourselves in a messed up situation, isn't it funny how oftentimes we blame God? Martha and Mary at the tomb of a loved one. Lazarus is dead. He's in the tomb. Jesus comes walking in and they said, Lord, if you would have just been there, I know that Lazarus would not be dead right now. Adam and Eve in the garden at the fall and, and, and they, they messed it up for every person in the building. And after the fall, gee, God comes walking in and Adam looks to God. He's blaming. He said, Lord, it was the woman that you gave me that gave me the fruit and I ate it. We like to blame God. You know why? Because it's easier to blame somebody else for the situation. It's easier to blame somebody else for the reason that we're in this place instead of taking responsibility for our own actions. The king said, God has called us here. In other words, we're going to die, and God, this is your fault. God, listen to me. God did not tell them to go across the desert. As a matter of fact, if we went back and began to go through this, we find out that it was not God's fault. God never called them there. God never told them to go. It was his fault. It was his navigational failure, fa failure that got him into the situation. I just want to tell 
somebody tonight, it is not God's fault. Every broken home, every broken family, every addiction, every prodigal child that walked out on God, every abusive situation that you have ever been in your life, it is not God's fault. It was somebody's sin. It was somebody's navigational failure that brought you to that place. And if you're here tonight and you are in a dark place and you're struggling, I want you to know, friend, that God did not leave you there. He did not lead you. Somehow, some way, somebody's sin brought you there, friend. It was sin that led you there, but grace can lead you out. I don't know what they said. I don't know what they did. I don't know how bad or how hurtful it was. I don't know what it is that messed you up and brought you to a broken place or regardless of whatever it is. All I know is God said that my grace is sufficient. All I know is he said let us there come forth. Let us come therefore boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain early a mercy. All I know is he said that he is he, that he is the God of all grace who has called us. It's the grace of God that will turn that messed up situation around. It's the grace of God. That's who he is. That's the character of God. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you in the dry place. He wants you to trust him and keep on walking, keep on believing. He wants you to stand on the promise that he's given you. It's his grace that gives us a remnant of escape. It's his grace that gives us a measure of revival right in the middle of our bondage. If you're in a place of trouble, friend, it is not God's fault. It was sin that brought you in, but grace can lead you out. The king had the wrong attitude. He was blaming all of his problems on God. And his negative attitude was having a negative impact on every person that was in his circle. Sometimes the biggest problems that we have is because of the people that we've allowed to be in our circle. It's wrong associations. If you hang out with worldly people, friend, you're going to get worldly advice. But if you hang out with godly people, friend, you're going to get godly advice. Who you run with matters. As a kid growing up, my mama's here tonight so she can testify. As a kid growing up, my mama would always tell me, She would say, Jonathan, the birds of a feather flock together. In other words, the people that that you are hanging out with, the people uh, that you are most alike usually hang out together. Now think about it tonight. Some of you, I I want you to go back to high school. Some of y'all, that's a long way back. So listen, some of you got to go to the, you've got to go to the late 19th century. It's funny because it's true, I can say it. To go back to high school. And you remember in high school, there were cliques, there were groups. Some of you, you can still remember seeing them vividly. And, and you can look at, maybe you're in the cafeteria and you're looking around and you see the populars over here and it's always the populars that are hanging out with the populars. And the normals, if that's even a word, the normals are over here and the normals are hanging out with the normals. 
The musicians are over this, this side. The musicians are hanging out with the musicians. The jocks over here, the jocks are hanging out with the jocks. The nerds are hanging out with the nerds. Come on. The stoners, the goths, are hanging out with one another. Most of the time, you can tell who somebody is just by the people that they are hanging out with. Why? Because the birds of a feather flock together. And sometimes what we need to do is we need to refine our circle. Some of us, the reason that we're still stuck in the same old place that we were stuck in last year, the reason we're still same, praying the same prayer and battling the same, uh, battling the same situation that we've been battling for years is because, for, truth be told, friend, we all, we need to get rid of some friends. You've got to get rid of those ungodly influences that are in your circle. See, some, some, some of you, what you need, you need a delivery service. You've been praying, oh God, deliver me, friend. No, you need to deliver yourself out of the, some of the people that you've been hanging out with. You need to get out of that ungodly spirit. You need to get out of that negative influence that is speaking negativity. A lot of times we need to deliver ourselves with people that have no vision. We need to deliver ourselves with people that have no passion for the things of God because surrounding yourself with the wrong people, friend, it will eventually wreck you. They will wreck your joy. They will wreck your vision. They will wreck your passion. And in the end, they will wreck your faith. The king of Israel, he was pulling the people in the wrong direction. King Jehoram, the first king, what he said, he said, God has called us here. In the middle of the desert, they are dying of thirst. It is bad. And he said, it's God's fault. He had the wrong attitude in the middle of the situation. But if you look at the second king, if you look at Jehoshaphat, in the middle of the same situation, the same desert, the same individual. He, he is in that bad place. He is dying, literally dying of thirst, yet he had the right attitude. Because what he said, he said, I need to hear from God. He said, is there no prophet in the land that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Three kings, three armies, all in one group, but only one man had enough sense to want to know, what to, to want to find out what God had to say about the situation. Only one. You may be the only one in your family that wants to know what God has to say about the situation. You may be the only one in your family that gets up early and goes back in the Matthew 6 and 6 prayer closet and shuts yourself up with God and begins to pray over that situation. You may be the only one in your family that opens up the Word of God and begins to feed yourself on the Word because you know that the Word of God is true. You know that the Word of God will begin to give you faith. You may be the only one, but friend, can I tell you, God only needs one Jehoshaphat to deliver an entire army out of a broken place, out of a broken family and a broken... God only needs one and it can turn it or die. Prophet of God comes reluctantly and he gives them a word. He says, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. 
Now you have to remember, friend, that they, they are tired. They are weary. They, at this moment, they are at the brink of death. They, death, they are exhausted. They are worn out. And all of a sudden, here comes a big wig king coming down from his meeting, and he begins to call out to them. They're just ready to die. And he says, I want you to make this valley full of ditches. Now, that must have been hard to hear. Dry and thirsty near dead men, they don't much feel like digging especially into a dry and hard. Have you ever tried to dig in a hard ground? It is not easy. They were tired. They were, they were weary. And when we look at the situation, we know that they did not much feel like digging. But God said, dig. Why? We know that God doesn't need us. We know God could have snapped his fingers and had the heavens open up. Why did God tell them to dig. Because friend, God still today, He wants to work through us. He wants His people to prepare for the blessing that He wants to bring. God did not ask them to do something that they could not do. Anytime God tries to do something in your life, He will never try to ask you to do something that you can. He will always give you a task that you really can do. God will never ask you to do the impossible. When God wants to prepare us for a miracle, He gives us a word that we really can do. You can't create water, but you can dig. You can't heal them, but you can call the elders of the church. You can anoint with oil, and you can pray. You can't conjure up faith, but you can open up your Bible, and you can read the Word of God because we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. If we want the miracle of God, we have got to begin to walk in the method of that God has called us to. If we expect to receive the miracle, we we must prepare for the impossible. Amen. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. King comes down. These old boys, they're tired. They're standing there. They're dry. They're weary. They're worn out. And the king comes in and he said, boys, I've got a word from God. Make this valley full of ditches. You cannot tell me that these thirsty and dry men felt like digging, but they had a word from the king that he wanted them to pick up a shovel and start digging. He said, I want when you feel it, I want you to dig. When you don't feel like it, I want you to dig. When it looks bad, I want you to dig. When you're thirsty and you're dry, I want you to dig. When it looks like you're a thousand, mi a thousand miles away from the miracle, I want you to pick up your shovel and dig. If it looks like you're never going to make it, I just want you to pick up a shovel and begin to dig. And when the doctor calls and said the cancer's too far and we can't turn it around, I just want you to pick up your shovel and start digging. When the spouse walks out and says, I don't want to be in ministry. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to be. Pick up your shovel and dig when the abuse happens, when they say hurtful things, when you feel like it's time to give up and throw in the towel and I'm done. I'm hurt. I dare you to pick up your shovel and dig. Believe God. He said, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full. Somebody pick up your shovel and dig God's not finished it's not 
over. He's just looking for you to keep on fighting and keep on digging until the miracle happens. If we want the water, if we want the blessing, we have got to be a people that continually dig in the dry ground. Then God said, then God said, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet, the valley will be filled with water. So much so that there'll be plenty for your cattle, there'll be plenty, plenty for the army, there'll be plenty for the animals to drink. God said, you shall not see wind, nor rain. In other words, there shall be no sign. Have you ever been maybe outside and maybe midsummer day and it's hot and all of a sudden the temperature drops and you turn around and you, you can just, you, listen, when rain is about to, you can literally smell rain coming. You can see it in the distance. All of a sudden the clouds will begin to puff up. Ever the wind starts blowing. We can usually, oftentimes, we can tell when the bottom's about to fall. We can tell when the storm's coming. But God said, you shall see no clouds, you shall see no wind, and you shall see no rain. God is saying that you are not going to be able to anticipate the miracle. There will be no sign, but friend, water is on the way. It may not look like it's ever going to break through. It may look not look like water's ever going to show up. He said there'll be no sign, but I come to tell somebody water is on the way. The miracle is on the way. The breakthrough is on the way. You keep on believing God. You keep on walking in faith. You keep on trust in God and you're going to see the breakthrough in your life. So they started digging. And I don't know if one of them just believed it. I don't know if one of them said there must be water down here somewhere so let's get a shovel and dig. I don't know if they, if they dug until they hit water beneath them. I don't know if they dug until something broke and water began to flow. I don't know if they simply just dug until God just reached, reached down and supernaturally created something. All I know is it didn't come down. It came up. There was something on the inside of every believer in this house. There is something called the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that when we are saved, that we are indwelt with the power. We are indwelt. Ephesians says, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. There is something on the inside of every believer that God wants to stir up and bring up out of you, friend. God doesn't want to just to save you and indwell you with the Holy Ghost as he did in the last days, but we serve a God today that wants to radically baptize you. He'll, he'll equip you you. Why? Because he said, I, Jesus said, I'm going away. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. When I go away, he said, I'm going to send the help of the Holy Ghost. Friend, Jesus could still be here walking, but he said, it's to your advantage that the Holy Ghost comes. Friend, when the power of God hit us, he helps us. He, he equips us. Acts 1 says, he shall give us power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I thank God when I don't know what to do and I don't know what to pray, I can just get on my face and I can 
pray in English all right and I can quote chapters and I can quote verses but there's something about when the Holy Ghost begins to move on the inside of me and all of a sudden a new language and it's not on the outside it's on the inside flowing up out of me you may have been in church for a long time you may have tarried for a long time. You may have dug for a long time. You may have to wait for a long time. But I heard Jesus say to the woman at the well, he said, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. I heard Jesus say, he said, if you're thirsty, he said, come to me and drink. And out of your heart, out of your belly, will flow rivers of living water. If you need a miracle, dig. If you need a breakthrough, dig. Friend, if you're still tarrying and waiting on the baptism of the Holy Ghost, don't you quit. Don't you throw in the towel. Pick up your shovel and dig. If God promised you a healing, if God promised you a breakthrough, pick up your shovel and dig. That's what faith is. Faith is an attitude that believes God. Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of all the naysayers that run in and say, Jairus, who's too late, the baby's dead. No, faith is an attitude that keeps on walking, keeps on believing in spite of what the situation says. Faith is making preparation for something that you cannot perceive. Faith is an attitude that believes it before it sees it. I just come to tell somebody tonight, God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. You may be out in the middle of the desert and you feel like you're about to die. You may feel like nobody knows your name. Nobody nobody knows your struggle. I just want to come tell somebody God knows right where you are and he's telling you tonight, don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. You might be three feet away from gold. You might be three feet away from your miracle and your breakthrough. Don't throw in the towel. Pick up your shovel. And dig this. He, he said, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season. We shall reap if we do not give up. This is somebody's due season. This is somebody's moment for a miracle and a breakthrough in your life. Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of of ditches. Musicians, can you come? I'm trying to close. Make this valley full of ditches. Fearable, can you stand up across it? If you can, can you stand up? I'm trying to close. If you don't stand